You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Welcome to Half Hour with Jeff and Richie, your post-show buddies. This week, we're diving into the world of the new Broadway play, The Cottage. This is Half Hour with Jeff and Richie. Half Hour! Hey everyone, I'm Jeff. And I'm Richie. And today we're bringing you our post-show discussion on the new Broadway play by Sandy Rustin called The Cottage. So let's get right into this today, Richie, and get some more context about what The Cottage is and who the playwright is. Yeah, so The Cottage is a new play on Broadway at the Helen Hayes Theater. Its opening night was on July 24th, 2023. We actually got to see the first show after opening night, which was very cool. Uh, The Cottage is a play by Sandy Rustin. Like I said, it's playing at the Helen Hayes Theater on Broadway, and it's directed by Jason Alexander, who many of you know from Seinfeld, mm-hmm. amongst many other things. I believe this is his directing, Broadway directing debut, which is really exciting. And the perfect thing for him to direct. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's all farce <laughs> comedy, and this is a farce. A lot of times we don't see new farce on Broadway. We see replications and revivals of farce. So very cool to see mm-hmm. a new farce on the Broadway stage. And so some of you may be asking, well, what is a farce play? I would love to know a little bit more about what a farce is and where we've seen this before in the history of Broadway. Yeah. Well, so farce actually goes way back. Here's a little history lesson for you all. Way back to, gosh, Shakespeare times. Like Taming of the Shrew would have been a farce. Like farce was the opposite of drama, right? But farce Mm -hmm. is a little different than standard comedy. Farce involves horseplay, buffoonery. It's usually like improbable or impossible, nearly impossible situations, ludicrous, over the top, um, <laughs> absurdity, highly exaggerated. So noises off is a prime example. The play that goes wrong is a prime example. Um, if you even wanted to look at something like from a film perspective, like National Lampoon's Vacations are kind of farce. Like Great example. Mm-hmm. Um, think for people who maybe aren't who are listening who are more film people, things that are like absurd that you would never really think would happen, but like do happen. So it's usually absurdity, and it's usually rooted in older pieces. We don't always get newer farce. You know, a lot of Neil Simon was kind of farce esque, but mm-hmm. to see a new farce comedy play written for Broadway and written by a female and given a really wonderful female drive and perspective was really cool. I know we're going to talk about that a little bit later, but yeah, that's I'm just curious about that with uh, farce <laughs> in this context here. Is, do we see a lot of females write farce plays? Or Not have we lot. seen a lot? We don't really see a lot of females writing farce plays, especially at the big Broadway level. And so it's nice because I remember reading a little bit. I believe, I believe Sandy Rustin gave an interview recently where she talked about so many farces come from the male perspective, a mm. male-dominated family or relationship. And so... As we know, spoiler alert, at the end of this, it's such a female-centric piece mm-hmm. with Laura Bell Bundy's character really kind of leading the way. And then getting that cottage at the end and her kind of taking control and saying, oh, your mother actually left this cottage to me. And and that's great. I think that's awesome to kind of end with that. So it's really, really mm. <clears throat> And before we get into this a little bit more, I have a question for you. Yeah. Where do you like seeing a far start? Very, uh, do you like seeing a farce uh, like kind of hit you really early on or like a slow build into the comedy in a farce? I like a slow build because I, I, I sometimes like a setup. 
So I kind of like to know like yeah. what's going on so I'm not completely lost as an audience member in the beginning. But I love um, – so farces usually involve like doors and entrances into locations by anyone. And so that's what I think The Cottage really followed well was this like who's walking in the door next? And they're all in this like – it's set in England in 1923 in this like – out of the major city cottage. So it's like, it's not like it's a city. Like how did all these people get to this cottage? Like the absurdity of like all these people just appearing at once on like, I think they referenced multiple times. It's like a Wednesday or a Tuesday. So it's like, (laughs) how are all these people just like making their way to this cottage in the middle of the day? Or it's a Monday. It's a Monday. It's Monday. It like starts on a Monday. And I think that's the funny part in this, but yeah. Tell me before we get too much into the plot here without context for our listeners. uh, Tell me what your initial thoughts were on this play. This play was really enjoyable to me. I did enjoy Mm -hmm. it and I found the comedy of it. There, there are some things I would have maybe changed. I don't think it was perfect. I actually thought there were some things that could have been a little bit stronger, Um, but I did laugh. I did have fun. I've definitely seen worse things. I felt as if there was this sense of, oh, do that again or do more of that. And usually I'm feeling that way when something is so good that I say, oh, my gosh, they didn't beat me over the head with it because I wanted more. This was almost the opposite of like, oh, I could have just used like 10 percent more of that to build the absurdity of a farce. And so at times it rooted me in reality too much. And so I was like, oh, maybe this could actually happen. And then I was like, mm. oh, now it's not as funny because some of this could actually happen. Whereas if there was more absurdity, I might have been like, oh, my gosh, this is wild. You know, and instead I was like, this is kind of cool. It's kind of silly. But I wasn't blown away with the absurdity of it, if that makes I, sense. It does make sense because I think that's where I'm kind of going with my initial thoughts on this as well. It's like I, that's why I needed to ask you the question on – where do you think a far should start? And I actually think that this kind of started too high. The comedy just kept coming too quickly, too early. And it didn't really give us a good enough arch here of let's start off slow, slow build into something absurd. I don't think we ever really got to the biggest like absurdity in this show. But there were moments that were absurd. That I thought, okay, like this lighting the cigarette all over the house is so funny. That is a bit and they worked it and every inch of that house had a place they could go grab a cigarette, which is such a, you know, commentary on the old 1920s like lifestyles and films. Um, And and. And another absurdity bit was Lily Cooper's like, I think I'm having this baby now. And then this very long fart. And so like that's right. absurdity. But the that stood out so much to me that nothing else seemed as absurd. So they stood out as opposed to give me three or four right. more cigarette or fart bits. And then I'll kind of feel like the absurdity of it. Um, does that make sense? Yeah. Well, I felt like the absurdity needed to be more on the fact that. In this play here, we're watching um, affairs happen. Yes, right. And in this, this couple's having an affair with this person's husband, this person's having an affair with this person's wife. Oh, and now we know that they're brothers, and oh, and this one's here, and it's like, okay, so this is the plot of the play. And I just think that... I, I'm I'm watching this and I'm like, okay, this needs to be the big absurd moment. And I didn't really find it to be absurd. 
Yes, it was, I was safe, just like, it was that's, safe. That's where I feel like I'm with you on this, that I'm like, oh, this kind of seems too real. Like, I, I thought it would, like, here's a funny, from a director's perspective, every single time someone appeared at the top of the stairs, they should have fallen down the stairs. Like, maybe that would have gotten really old really fast, but how funny would it have been if, like, they tripped over the same step every time, and they were like, we gotta get that step fixed. And then the next time someone, they fell down the step. Like, there's a staircase. Like, why not play with that more? Like, that dog pedestal next to the couch? Like, right. at one point, the gunshot went off and the head spun. I thought, it, like, how funny would it have been if like, that was the old mother's dog? I think that was the old mother's dog in the painting, actually. Yeah. So, like, yeah. how funny would it have been if they, like, referenced the dog? Hi, Milo. Like, every time they walked by. Like, something silly like that i or maybe like to me i was actually shocked that there were not more doors like it could have been so funny if people were in and out of doors more i don't know some of this and that would have been so stereotypical i get that but there was just a part of me that was like yeah this is a little safe for a new i should say the physical comedy seems safe to me same you know, because right. when you think of more of like that farce, like sitcom style things, like people don't always enter through the front door. And I feel like with this, everyone just entered through the front door. And like, if some of the people live in this cottage or have been to this they cottage, they would have come through the kitchen through side the back door, door right. or this. And then it would have been so funny because yeah. it's like, or getting caught in the act, you know? So, you know. Yeah, well, it, I think I was having fun in the beginning, mm -hmm. and my initial thoughts kind of were just like it felt a little predictable with some let's, of the comedy. Let's steer a little bit towards some of the cast and and some of these performances. Who was someone or some yes. some people in the show that stood out to you? I mean, right off the bat, so I had never seen Laura Belboni do anything, and I know everyone loves miss legally blonde right so it was great to see her and hear of her in a comedy role here um in a straight play so i i really enjoyed her but it wasn't really until dana steingold came onto the stage that i said oh, okay dana is about to steal this show from every mm. single person up on this stage and i think she did oh you know yeah. it was actually really well directed and really well written when dana was mm -hmm. drinking the bottle of wine because it's clear that everyone's looking there and no one's listening to the dialogue. So that was almost a like, make sure you don't give plot in this two minute dialogue because we're not going to be paying attention to what um, Eric McCormick and Laura Bobani's characters were saying because we had to watch Diana literally drink this whole bottle. But of wine you heard, drink. but you still heard. Right. You still heard, though, what Laura Bell Bundy and Eric McCormick were saying to each other. Right. While this whole bit is happening right. with Dana. And it just worked really well. And also, I feel like Dana was just someone who we talk about this all the time with actors. And it's what are you doing on that stage while someone else is speaking? And she yeah. was always <laughs> acting in a moment. And I don't know if she was written that way or if those were her own choices, but I will applaud if it is written that way, or if they are her no, own No, she choices, was definitely probably bringing some of her own stuff to it. Yeah. I, I, and so great to see her do this. We know Dana as the, the Girl Scout in Beetlejuice, right? Mm -hmm. So yep. now to see her move into this different role, and what a different role, because I, I, I turned to you and I wouldn't so, one moment, like I'm like, wait a second. That's Dana Steingold. Mm -hmm. I was like, we, we just saw her in something else, and now to see her do this, I was like, oh, it's completely transformative she was know, really so. amazing she stood out to me laura bell bunny stood out to me i thought Eric mccormick was fine it wasn't really a standout for me he kind of does the same thing no. and it works for him and i think he's funny but um 
It was fine. Uh, and Lily Cooper was fine. She, I don't know what it was. Her character, other than the fart bit in Act 2, she really didn't do, like, anything in Act 2. And I thought she kind of kind of became part of the scenery towards the end. I thought her character was, from a writing perspective, was kind of oddly just forgotten at the end. And I thought, other than, and then we're like, oh, wait, I forgot she's pregnant. She's about to have this baby. Let's just bring that in for three seconds. I didn't really think it was about her anymore. Uh, so she kind of and almost. And that's definitely a character. That's definitely a character that I feel like started off high and then it didn't go anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It was, so it, it, it was fine. Yeah. I, I, but I did think Laura Bell stood out to me. I think she really carried that piece a lot. And I did think Dana Steingold really stood out. Yeah. Those two for sure. For sure. Yeah. And another thing with Lily's character too, it's like, I feel like that's a character we've seen Lily do before. So it didn't feel that different than what we saw her do in POTUS. So it just kind of felt like, okay, it, it we've seen this. I wanted something maybe a little different. I thought there were but. funny moments with Nahal Joshi and Alex Moffat. Alex Moffat's from SNL, if you watch SNL. They, were, they all brought something funny. I thought they all worked well together. Um, but yeah. in general, there was more Definitely. than others. You know? Definitely. For sure. And how do you think we, we must remember the direction in here and Jason Alexander being the director? What do you think about some of the direction choices that we saw? I thought it was stage? actually really well directed for the most part. Given what the script mm-hmm. is, it was cl- every inch of that space was used. There wasn't any like, oh my gosh, why aren't they going there? Why aren't they using that entrance? And do- so, from a director like using the space perspective, totally. Um, I also, it was also very clear that I have to do a shout out to um, the scenic designer. It's very clear yes. that the scenic design, the scenic designer, and the director worked together on this. Because it was the scene designs by Paul Tate Depo the third, um, and I just thought that was really really impressive scenery. But I, that curtain went up, and everyone was like applauded it. When you get a yeah. scenic well, applause at the curtain rising, and then I was like, okay, here's a director and a scene designer that read a script, worked well together on using this script in the direction of the piece. I totally got that from an audience perspective. Mm-hmm. And before we. Uh, Go back a few steps to that curtain. Oh, the curtain <laughs> is gorgeous. And I'm like, wow, this beautiful cottage. And we sit down and I'm looking at it. And I'm like, wait, there's multiple things going on here. There's the lingerie <laughs> hanging in the tree. There's a, a naughty axe from animals in the yard. There's a hookah sitting in the front lawn. It's so, like so, naughty axe. And by naughty axe, it's squirrels and it's deer. And they're but I humping think the each other. So I think the... Act curtain absurdity didn't match the absurdity in the actual play. Like, wouldn't it have been so funny yeah. if they're like, someone's coming. Oh, we left our hookah on the lawn from last weekend. Like, I thought that would have been so funny. Like, like right. we're like, my brassiere is hanging from the tree, Lord. Like, and, and she runs to get it or something. Like, I think that would have been so funny and they didn't do anything like that with it. You know? Right. It feels like, it feels like there were so many moments in that act curtain and what does come kind of in from the ad curtain is that we see the, the gardener in the ad curtain. He's shirtless, standing in the very back. Yeah. So out of all of the things that kind of get brought in from that ad curtain, that is the one thing. And it also kind of makes you think a little bit more about the ad curtain. And you kind of say, why also didn't characters kind of like come in and out of windows and just random things that they could have? I don't know. But the curtain's hysterical. And then when the curtain comes up and we see this beautiful set, I think we both had a moment where we were like, 
oh, this is what everyone is talking about in terms of scenery. And like, where has this been on Broadway? Well, guess what? It's at the cottage. Yeah, it's a gorgeous, gorgeous set. I would hope that this show, I think it's only playing to October, will be remembered in Tony season for the scenic design and the costume designs. Those entrances yes. and those hats and hat boxes. And that was so Beautiful. like gorgeous. 1920s uh, costumes, costume design by Sydney Maresca. Gorgeous, gorgeous. Yeah, it was beautiful on the point, the scenery, the costume, and even the props. You know, the yeah. props really fit the the time period here that were just so great. Right. And and and, and it did it, it was clearly designers that took a script. And like I said, we we're kind of talking about how the script was missing some things, but you you can't also forget that there were people who were designers brought onto this project who utilized the script they were given to create that atmosphere. And that was well executed, I thought. I, and I would actually like to see Jason Alexander mm-hmm. do more think, think comedy like this. He comes from comedy. You know, he comes from that silly Seinfeld comedy. Uh, I just wish I there was more to... physicality in some of that comedy with the uh, – you remember um, the character in Seinfeld who always skidded in the door? Um, I can't believe I can't remember yeah. uh, Kramer. Kramer? Yeah. yeah. And like every entrance was like a different way of entering the door. That was just a yeah. bit that always worked. So, you know, yeah. things like that. You know, it's an interesting question to kind of ask someone like him and say, how far do you push your own boundaries as a director in a show like this? Do you do you go too far and then offend people or do you take what the play is by being a farce and say, uh, I'm not going to play it safe. I'm going to do something very drastic here to kind of, you know, push people's feathers or ruffle them. I, I think what was also, yeah, I don't know. Like there is a whole theory that if you go too far with something, uh, this could have been so too far that I could have said, oh, they kind of they went a little too far with it. I, I didn't feel like that with any of this. And also for a piece that's very yeah. sexual, I'm kind of surprised that there was not more sexuality in it, like, why didn't the play start with them upstairs making noise? Like, how funny would it have been if we heard them upstairs? No one's on the set. And we're like, oh, my God, what's going on up there? And they walked down and said she was, like, down there. And I don't know. Like, I'm talking about little moments where I think we could have just elevated some of the heightened absurdity of it. Just enough. Well, I think just it was, to kick it up I think a it was a, Yeah. I, but I do think it was a good moment to start with her. Yeah, and for it to the, be like and and to say like this is about her which kinds of leads into this next thing like the the script does offer a really great feminist perspective and what do you think about including this feminist uh perspective into um this farce play i love it because i think females in farce for in throughout history have usually been pers- personified as like the silly maid or the silly mm-hmm. ingenue or the silly, the silly, the silly. And instead, this was a woman who really had to find herself in the piece. If, you know, right. to take it to serious town for a little bit, Laura Bell Bundy's character really was kind of like, what's going on here? And then when she's given this cottage, she's like in charge at the end. And she yeah. takes control of the plot and all of these men. Because all of these men are doing all these crazy things. The women are too, but the men are really the ones kind of causing a lot of this chaos and she kind of takes control and say, well, now it's my cottage and I'm going to make this a wonderful place for me. Sorry. It's not your little hideaway, getaway, naughty place anymore. And I think that she, I loved the feminist perspective. That was one of the best parts of this. I thought. I think 
you know, where something you probably normally don't get from a farce play at, by the end is there was a real message in this play, which was great. And for her to kind of come out on top and say, I'm going to go at my own pace here and I'm not going to immediately jump back into dating her, you know, long lost lover that just magically ends up at the house, which if we go back to that plot point there, that should have also even been more dramatic. And it was like, she immediately sees him and is like, oh, this is, what was his name? Michael or? Oh, um, I oh, forgot. I, his name, Richard. 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 And it's just like, okay, she now sees him. But like, it didn't really seem like once everyone else came back into the picture that they felt like, oh, okay, wow, this is him. Right. Um, like, it didn't, like, like, okay, so here's another example. Like, when, when, Will, um, when, um, Bo, Eric McCormick's character, comes in with, like, the animals to, like, defend right. himself. Like, <laughs> I, there's, like, a rule in theater, like, the comedy of threes, right? I think he came in with the, the, the I don't remember. He came with, a, like, a swordfish. A swordfish. He came with he, the porcupine. Okay. And then, like, do a third one, but make it something absurd. Like, make it, like. Well, it was like, the antlers. Was yeah, the- but, like, that could have been pushed more. This is what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, why didn't you come in with, like, a baby rabbit and say, like, this is all I can find? I don't know. Like, something yeah. silly. Like, like, and maybe, I don't, or it could have even been, like, some absurd was like- animal that you would have, like, never found in the England countryside. Things like that, I feel like, would have been so funny. But yes, their entrance back in after that seemed, act two was funny, but it seemed like, okay, now how do we wrap this up? And I think that it did wrap up. And we wrap it up that she gets. Right. 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 We get the the idea that she gets the cottage and she's on her own terms. She's not saying no to Richard, but she's going to do Richard at her own pace. And it's like, it's nice to see her on top. And like the whole little director choice of having her turn and wink at the end of her sitting on the couch, the same way the play started. I thought it was, was very nice. cute. You know, right. it was very humble by the end there. And Sandy Rustin, who wrote this, um, her adaptation of the film Clue is one of yeah. the most produced plays in the United States. She is known as, you know, having adapted that from the film and is always produced. And now to see her writing her original, a new piece, hey, you know what? Bring, come back and do it again. Like, we need new farce and we need new modern farce from a female perspective. Yeah. This wasn't the worst thing I ever saw. Let Come back and do it again. Maybe set it in a different location because you know how to write comedy. So, like, just maybe... You know, I also wonder if she sees things like noises off in the play that goes wrong where like it's so absurd that maybe she said we don't need or even Peter Pan goes wrong. Maybe she says we don't need it to be that absurd. I don't need the whole set to fall apart. You know, I get it. But I just thought moments could have been a little bit more. You don't need it, but you can go farther. And it kind of goes into like, what did you really like in the show? And what do you think could have been better in the show? I would say to conclude on that, yes, some of the plot was a little odd at times, and I thought some of the physicality could have really been heightened in some of this. Uh, that's not to say that I don't think these actors are working extremely hard. They really nail some of the comedy lines. Uh, yeah. I, I thought Laura Bell was a standout with Dana. And the set. The set was gorgeous. I would I, I would want to be an actor eight times a week working on that set, wouldn't you? I mean, it's gorgeous. And in those oh, costumes. Yeah. So it was designed yeah. wonderfully. It was one of the strong points for me. And I thought it was directed well, given the script that it was given. Yeah. I would say that I really liked this more from the feminist point of view. I think it's great to see things like this on the stage. I think it could have went a little farther. And 
I feel like what I didn't like was I wanted a bigger moment at the end of Act 1. I wanted it to be like we were left off in this place that was like so chaotic and just chaos is really about to ensue once, you know, the curtain comes back up in Act 2. And I just felt like we were left, like we weren't left on a big enough cliffhanger. Whereas when you go to something like Peter Pan Goes Wrong, they're like literally spinning around in a stage at the end of Act 1, like, oh my god, everything's going wrong. And then like once Act 2 starts again, it's like, they're like still there you know you want something really chaotic well we kind of knew that that was the guy coming at the end and so i think what was hard about that was like we knew he was coming and then we were like okay but like how more interesting would it have been if two people were there and then we would have been like wait yeah the other guy or like it was like the gardener okay wait 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 i actually i get maybe i should (laughs) write a farce i don't know (laughs) like wouldn't it have been funny if it was the gardener, and we were like, who's this? And then in act two, he was like, oh, hey, I saw your lights were out from the storm and just came to... Yeah. And then and then the guy came in with the gun after, and it was the gardener who ended act one. Like, I don't know. Like, there was so many moments that could have been, like, hilarious with this absurdity of this house. And I think it was just so focused on... I don't know. It just... Just a notch. I, I think- didn't need it to be as absurd as Play the Clothes Wrong. I just wanted it a little bit more absurd. But I think that's where the whole part of it comes in a little bit of, like, was it too predictable? Mm. Like, you already knew it was coming. I already kind of predicted once hearing a little bit and this man comes in, I was like, oh, wait, that's just going to be the guy that she's talking about, Richard. Right, right. And I'm like, oh, that's where it was, like, too predictable. You want kind of something even more wild or whatnot, you know? Even, like, hearing, like that Dana Steingold's character is like, oh, she's actually a prostitute. And I'm like, I guess, I guess. But it just didn't feel, like, very out of the norm. Yeah, yeah. You know? But and, they, that, and the actors brought the moments when they needed to, with, like I said, the cigarettes and the gun going off and Dana doing, Dana's character doing the drinking, Lily's character doing the farting. Like, they, they found those moments. There was definitely those moments. I actually will also say what, and one thing I enjoyed was the runtime of this. We had a one-hour act one, an intermission, and a 45-minute act two. That It was two hours. We were in and out on the street at two hours. It was an, it felt light and refreshing and just simple, and I think that's what sometimes Broadway needs. We don't need the three-hour heavy, heavy. We've had a lot of heavy, and even the comedies we've seen lately have been very long, so I yeah. think that this has just been nice. Button it up. Two hours. No, I, I like agree that. with that. And who do you think this show is really for? Like, who should go see it? I really, this could really be for everyone. I say that for a lot of the shows, but a tourist could go see this. I think a New Yorker who likes comedy theater should go see it. And then the people who are, there are Laura Bell Bundy fans out there. There are Eric McCormack fans out there. Go for them because they're, they're up, they're up there working hard, doing their thing. I do, I will say we haven't seen Laura Bell Bundy on a Broadway stage in a long time. And I always wondered, where is she? Like she was such a star, Hairspray and Legally Blonde and, and I don't know. And then to make a return like this, I remember, I, I think at one point I leaned over to you and said, this woman hasn't aged a bit. <laughs> she looks like she could go do Elwoods tomorrow. I mean, I, yeah. really. I was like, oh, wow, you're great. And Eric McCormack, he ha- looks like he hasn't aged a bit either. And he has aged nicely. He looks very nice in this show. They both complement each other. They're both <laughs> stunning. And I was just very that's what, the, that's what the people will say. He's in his daddy era. But, you yeah. know. <laughs> 
He's uh, fine. He's fine. Uh, <laughs> yes, and what, she's gorgeous. Um, where and where do you see more farce happening on the on the Broadway stage? Because I always kind of say this to you, and I think it's very hard in the Broadway world because sometimes I feel like comedy is still always overlooked in Broadway. It's sometimes, you know, you get things here and there, like you get a Book of Mormon that just like is a staple now in the scene and comedy that works. But where do you see a play like this kind of like being able to live on and be appreciated the same way that drama is appreciated on the Broadway stage? It needs to be done more. That's the bottom line. And new farce, new comedy. We need new works that are not just dramas. I love a good drama. Break my heart, sure. But we need the new comedies. We see the comedies return, the Neil Simons. We see them. And they're great, and usually they're star-studded casts. But we need producers to take the risks with the Sandy Rustins, with the new works, with the feminist approach, and set it in a different time period. And we just need more new. Anytime we see these comedies, there are revivals. Well, we'll see with this how this does, right? I right, mean, that's what I'm kind of saying. Like, why is it not, from an audience perspective, appreciated as much as the drama is? Like, why can't people go see a play like this and say to themselves, this is like, you know, a night out seeing a more live version of the comedy sitcom that we're watching at home? You can ask the same question to the Hollywood industry because all the comedy blockbusters that come out in the summer don't last in the Oscar season in December and January. And every show well, comedy that is never nominated. really has, but when you no. have the big blockbusters of like um, The Hangover or Super Bad, and they did so well during the, the, the time of when they were released in summer, or like Wedding Crashers or, or Bridesmaids, Bridesmaids right. you know, those <laughs> jinx. But you're talking about like the, the they do well, but in, 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 in being a potential award nominee, it's always the dramas in film and yeah. plays. These dramas, unless it's a musical. The dramas yeah. usually are the ones that take it. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah New farce on Broadway, please. I'm always a fan of farce. I think it's so good to tell those stories and have mm-hmm. fun on stage like that. So, but. Yes. Well. Oh, wow. Oh, my gosh. Time has <laughs> flown by. Time here. is flying. Wow. wow. Well, that is all the time we have today. And we would love to know your thoughts on The Cottage, too. Yes. Let's keep the conversation going, please. You can join us on Instagram and TikTok at at, at Half Hour Podcast <laughs> to find out more about all the podcasts that we're doing and the new shows that are coming and what we think. So thanks for spending your half hour with us. And until next time, I'm Jeff. And I'm Richie saying ta-ta. Bye. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.